Today's scripture reading is John 16, 16 through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take you from your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will plainly tell you about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for reading that scripture for us. Good morning. My name is Jonathan. Um, I'm a pastor up in Chicago, and I did have the opportunity to do a residency here with you. And I want to say thank you. Um, some of you, and maybe you were here and you knew me and you were supporting others, you might just be a part of the church now and you're supporting, but the gift of the residency and a chance to learn and to make mistakes um, in a safe space, I think really set my family and I up well as we've launched a church in Chicago. Though I do have one gripe about the residency, and particularly about Nathan and that oversight. Sorry, Nathan. He didn't tell me how to church plant and launch a church during a pandemic. <laughs> so anyway, grateful Grateful for the residency, grateful for you. I want to show a picture of my family. Some of you might know them, um, and just wanted to give a little update, but that's my wife, Hannah. Claire, Frederick, Emily, and Grant. So our, our word right now is we have 
Four kids, and Claire is under 40 pounds. So four kids, 40 pounds and under. Yes, we're crazy, but yes, it's beautiful, and we just love, um, love my family and love that we get to be together. One of the fun things about a family and young kids, it was explaining to them while we're up in Chicago that we were coming down here, right? And for some of them, this is the first time that, like, mom's been away, and Hannah got to tra- travel and come down, and so I'm, I'm telling them, hey, guys, mommy, mommy and daddy are, are going away for a little while. What do, you, what do you mean you're leaving us? What? what? Oh, we're going away just for a, li- a, a little while. Why are you leaving? Well, daddy gets to go down and preach at his old church. And how long are you gone? A little while. When will you return? Oh, I'll be back in three days. Okay, now I'm, it was three days. But I'm starting to obviously allude to the text. I want to be careful here where I put myself. Uh, but it did just bring up, even as I'm explaining it to my kids and trying to explain to them that we're leaving, and just seeing the kind of the shock and the confusion and the misunderstanding of, why are you leaving? <laughs> I don't get it. This is what we just read in our passage, and what has been going on in the book of John, probably starting in chapter 14, when Jesus says, hey guys, disciples, I know you're following me, I'm leaving. Why are you leaving? I'll be gone for a little while. What do you mean by a little while? Right? This is the tension that has, brought, has been brought up by the text. One of the questions is even, how is it good, Jesus, that you're leaving? I think last week we probably looked at the Holy Spirit and the fact that because Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. He says it's better for you to come. Well, today, to kind of answer that tension of how is it good us that Jesus is leaving, is we're going to see that the cross... The cross is going to turn our sorrow into joy. The cross is going to turn our sorrow into joy. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there with me to John chapter 16. We're going to walk through the text together, and we're going to see how the cross turns our sorrow to joy. And it's going to do that by seeing how it changes the way we suffer, it changes the way we pray, and it changes the way that we win. Changes the way we suffer, pray, and win. So, John chapter 16, starting in verse 16, I'm going to be reading again some of it for you. We're going to walk through the text together. We're going to look at it. And I just want you to notice it starts off with this phrase, a little while. It's used seven times in the first four verses. And it's kind of like, what do you, what do you mean? There's, Jesus is emphasizing this time, this illustration of, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone for a little while. And he says it multiple times, and the disciples are confused about it, and what do you mean by this? And isn't it kind of comforting that other people are confused by the words of Jesus, right? I'm not alone, okay? And as, as they're just kind of questioning and trying to figure it out, and he keeps saying a little while, and what does he mean by this? Well, yes, it definitely is referring to time, but when we look at Scripture, this is a phrase that is used often throughout the Old Testament, including the book of Isaiah, uh, including Jeremiah, Hosea, and it is talking about, in the Old Testament, the coming judgment and deliverance that the people of God will experience. The coming judgment and deliverance the people of God will experience. And even as we start to look at it today, you know, playing the cards, we're going to see that that is part of what the cross does, right? That's where judgment and deliverance start to occur. So Jesus is alluding to this phrase a little while, and yes, it's time-oriented, but it's also giving them a hint. If you've been following along in the story of Scripture, this is something we want you to notice. Coming judgment and deliverance is coming. So he keeps talking, and he, he starts to reference these things, and he starts to say, look, well, in a little while you'll see me, in a little while you won't, and they keep going this back and forth, and they're trying to understand it. And then he says in verse 20, truly, truly, 
I say to you. Which is kind of his way of saying, pay attention. Or right, if you're a parent of young kids, this is the, find my eyes, (laughs) right? Look at me, pay attention here. You will weep. You will lament. These are words used for deep grieving, often around funerals. The world will rejoice, but you will be sorrowful, and your sorrow will turn into joy, right? So even as Jesus is starting to talk about this sorrow and this joy, one of the things I'm noticing is he's, he's not minimizing the fact that they are about to suffer. And he's speaking specifically about the fact that he's leaving them and he's going to the cross and they are going to be without him. They're going to be scattered. And this is going to be a traumatic, sorrowful experience for them. Weep and lament. He's not minimizing their pain. And yet he's also saying this sorrow will turn into joy. It's not going to cause your joy. It's going to turn into joy. And he gives an analogy. Now, if I were uh, preaching on my own, I would not use this analogy, right? Uh, But he goes into this analogy, and he talks about a woman in labor, and the fact that it is this deep and traumatic and intense, painful experience, and yet the very thing that is causing that trauma is what turns into and causes the joy of here is now a baby, Again, at the risk of offending um, half the audience, I want to be careful how I state it, but Jesus is using this analogy, so I'm trying to follow with it. But can't we imagine and remember and see that? Deep pain, not hiding it, and yet joy comes. Not just comes from it, joy is turned. The cross, Jesus is saying, changes the way that we suffer. The suffering is not, oh my goodness, there is no hope. I am in a dark place and nothing is going to change. It is a dark sorrow that says, oh, there is hope. (laughs) Oh, what I thought was the the trauma is also the joy. The fact that Jesus goes to the cross is what turns into the joy and the deliverance. That is what Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples to understand. And then if we keep reading a little bit more, he says in verse 21 and 22, your sorrow will turn to joy and I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice so that no one can take your joy from you. Okay, this trauma, this anguish, it is real. You're about to experience it. We'll see a little bit more. They're going to be scattered. But it's going to turn to a joy that cannot be taken away because it's going to be rooted in the work that he does on the cross and it's going to be rooted in the relationship that they now have because of the work that he has done on the cross. So Jesus is leaving. And again, even to capture this, this moment for you, I was just wrestling with like, what is it? How do we capture the audacity of the fact that they've been following him? They have expectations for him. They've been thinking, oh, here's what Jesus is doing, and I'm following him. I'm probably going to look good, too, because Jesus, their expectations for him are to be a conquering Messiah. He's been saying he's about to be glorified. Just in the passage before us, he mentions his glory. The passage after us, he's going to say, now I am glorified. Right? When someone says, I'm going to be glorified, I'm going to look good, the idea is like, hey, Jesus is about to look good. I'm going to look good too. Here we go. This is great. And yet Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm leaving. 
So the best example I've been thinking through and trying to come up with, what comes from like 1973 and a galaxy far, far away. And this, this movie that came out, and it was Star Wars. And there we have Luke, who is following Obi-Wan Kenobi and is expecting glory and to become a master Jedi. And instead, as, as, as Obi-Wan Kenobi, spoiler alert, starts to fight with Darth Vader, what does he do? He gives himself up and goes away. And just Luke's cry of like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you thinking? That is the realm we need to put ourselves in as the disciples. And I want to give that to you also because I want you to hear that might be where many of you are in your grief. God, what are you doing? <laughs> How does this make sense? This is your plan? Why are you absent? And I just want to give you space to say there's the grief. The grief is there. It's not minimized here in Scripture. It is talked about with the deepest sorrow and pain that the, the, we can, they have. And Jesus says that sorrow is going to turn to joy. So even as we're working through this section, we start to see how God changes the way we suffer. He changes the way we suffer because even as Jesus is leaving and even as we are experiencing grief and sorrow, it's not the end of the story. But I want to give you space to say, if there's an area of your life where you're grieving, be able to give it to God. (laughs) Be able to know that he doesn't minimize where you are. Um, Just this last week, I'm a pastor in Chicago, and we uh, had a funeral. And for um, somebody who I love, and they died of a heart attack, healthy, worked out every day. How does this happen? Younger than I thought for a heart attack, right? And as our congregation is together, and as we're gathered, and as I'm sitting there with his widow, and we're talking, just the grief, the sorrow is real, and it's, God, what is your plan? And I continue to be amazed at her willingness to say, we are not grieving without hope, right? The grief is not minimized. The hope is there. There was joy amidst the sorrow. That is what Jesus is inviting us to through the work of the cross. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if there is a place in your marriage that just feels stuck or perhaps a singleness or childlessness. Or perhaps it is, I'm tired of this coworker, this family member, uh, this person sitting next to me. Okay, no, let's not get too personal. Wherever you are, I want you to be able to take your grief and pain and be able to give it to God and to not minimize it and to know that he can change the way that suffering is there. And one of the things he promises is this joy. Now the question is, okay, so what does this joy look like? We're talking about this joy. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep going in our passage, because not only do we see that the cross turns us hard to joy by changing the way we suffer, it also changes the way we pray, which I think is going to expand upon this joy. So keep reading in our text, starting in verse 23. It says, in that day, in the day after the death of Jesus, and now the resurrection has occurred. So now they are seeing him again. The little while has happened. They are seeing Jesus. In that day, once I have raised from the dead, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, pay attention, find my eyes, lean in. I say to you, whatever you ask, in my, ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
And we're going to unpack this a little bit more. It could sound like, oh yeah, we're just making asks right now, but we're going to start to see in the context here. This is talking about praying to God the Father. And the prayer is there to say there is a new relationship that occurs because of the little while, because of the suffering, because of the sorrow, because of the cross. A new relationship exists between the disciples and God the Father. Right? It used to be, well, we don't have access to God, we pray through a mediator. Right? It was like, okay, I, before I pray to God, right, if you go to, the, go to Jerusalem today, there's the Wailing Wall. Right? They think that's as close as you can get. Put their prayers in the Wailing Wall. I've been there, I've put in a prayer. Right? It's like, there it is. Or perhaps it was, oh, the sacrifice. Or I even know in, in my own life, sometimes I thought, oh man, maybe I need to behave well, or maybe I need to tithe, or maybe I need to do the right thing so God will really hear me. Right? Some of the misconceptions we fall into. And God's saying, no, no, no. This is going to be a new type of relationship and a new access to God the Father. You see, verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Notice the power is in the name of Jesus. Ask, you will receive, that your joy may be full. So now we're getting into this picture of the joy, our sorrow that's turned to joy. What does this joy look like? Well, the joy is now full. The joy is there. And how is this joy there? Well, it's there because it's been rooted in this relationship. If you follow the story of Scripture, right, the, the four-chapter story, it starts with saying God created us for a relationship with him, chapter 1. Chapter 2, we are broken and we no longer have a relationship with God the Father in the same way. And most of the rest of the story of Scripture is talking about how do we get access to God? How do we be in right relationship with him again? And now we're at chapter 3 where Jesus says, I have made access between man and God. It's in me. Because you are united with me in my death and in my resurrection. So there is a new relationship. And this new relationship, we can see it manifest in the way that we are able to pray to God. That your joy may be full. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour. The hour comes up in this text a couple times and throughout the passage. This is talking about the cross. It's talking about the suffering, the, the resurrection that Jesus occurs. The hour of his glorification. It's coming. And no longer will I speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, after the resurrection, you will ask in my name, the name of Jesus. And I do not say that the Father will ask on the Father on your behalf. Jesus no longer has to go, okay, God, here's what Jonathan's praying, and here's what he needs. He's saying, no, 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 I don't know that. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believe that I came from God the relationship has changed. He's changed the way that we are able to pray. And it's rooted in love, and it gives us this joy and so that it can be full. Perhaps I'm thinking, I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but as a kid, I spent a lot of time, uh, that's probably a little weird, but I just pretend like when I was practicing for spelling bees or doing my work as a kid, I always pretended that I was like teaching the Queen of England. I don't know why. That was the thing for me. It was like, okay, and I think I even tried a British accent, which we're not going to try and duplicate here, but I just, that was my audience, and I was trying to talk, and I just wonder, you know, like, that was so far removed, like, why would I ever meet the queen, or go to England, or have access before that throne, like, it's just, it's not there, but I wonder how many kids growing up in England maybe thought the same thing, might have made a little more sense for them to think that. Maybe there was even a young girl named Kate, and she thought, man, you know, maybe one day I'll be, I'll talk to the queen, or just kind of imagined it. Do you know what happened to maybe that young girl named Kate after she married somebody named William and then suddenly there is a relationship that has changed to where now she can walk in before the crown? Right? The change that occurs. 
That is a very poor example, but trying to highlight the fact that there is a change that has occurred for us because of the cross, that we have access to God the Father in prayer at any time. We can go before the throne. Look, I need to borrow the yacht. Can I get the, you know, Hail Britannica, right? Is that a possibility? We can bring to him our requests, silly, selfish, <laughs> real, needed, pain. We have access to God before the Father, and that is part of what brings about this joy. It's rooted in a relationship, which isn't changing, which isn't going anywhere. That is what we start to see. Hmm. So even as we look at this, we see the difficulty the disciples are about to experience because of the cross, and there's this lament that for a little while, but it's turning to joy, and it's rooted, and it changes the way we suffer, it changes the way we pray. And I would just even give you two, two maybe things to wrestle with if you're thinking about this section. One is to praise God. I mean, we just spent time singing about it in songs, and sometimes we're so familiar with it that we start to lose our wonder. You know when little kids hear something for the first time, and there's these wide eyes? Don't lose your wonder with the power of the cross just because it's familiar. We have access to God the Father in prayer. Let us praise him for that. Let us praise him because of this new relationship that is available to us through the work of Jesus. And then let's be honest in our prayers. Let's go to him with where we are. We can bring our sorrow and our pain to him. And our Father loves us. Notice that relationship rooted in love. So it changes the way we suffer. (laughs) We do not suffer without hope, without joy. It changes the way we pray because there's this new relationship we have. The cross also changes the way that we win. Um, For those of you who know me, I do get a little bit competitive. I tend to think of the world in terms of winning and losing. Uh, it's not good. It's not healthy. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. But I just, I just, I love, I love competition. I love, I love competing and fighting and going for it. Uh, so this win is kind of a fun moment for me as we look at it. Look at the verse as we start to move through in our text. Verse 29. His disciples say to him, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Just a little hint. They think they get it. They don't. It's okay, I think I get it. I don't. Notice God is merciful, gracious. As they're spending their time asking these questions, as they get it wrong, and oh God, now we get it, now we understand. Yeah, you don't. I love you. I'm patient with you. Let's keep working with you. Notice his posture toward them. Verse 30. Now we know that you know and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus says to him, do you now believe? Right? Do you now believe? <laughs> Hint, they don't really get it yet. Uh, behold, the hour, the cross is coming. Indeed, it has come. These are the last words that we're really having this interaction before he prays for his disciples. And then the crucifixion and the cross, that event starts to occur. It says, uh, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. The cross is here. You will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. (laughs) Right? I mean, Jesus basically says, yeah, you think you're with me. You think you get it. You think you believe me. Actually, you're about to all run away and run home to your mom. Right? Really? Run home. I guess the mom's not there. But I think it's kind of implied. You're about to leave me. 
And I love this because when I think of winning, probably like most of you, I think of actually winning. I think that I did something to deserve, right? This isn't the, oh, well, I got the sportsmanship award, or, oh, yeah, I mean, those things are valuable, but, oh, we're all winners. I didn't think of, like, oh, there's actually something, like, I did. Notice what the disciples are doing. They aren't winning in the way that we think of it. They're getting the facts wrong. They think they believe. They're telling Jesus that all they've got it. They don't have it. They're running away. They're abandoning Jesus, and they're going home, back to what is comfortable. Isn't that what we do too? We think we get it, and yet we actually often abandon Jesus. Perhaps this looks like in our lives where you're like, oh yeah, I think I've got it together, and then there's that, oh yeah, that sin that slips back up. (laughs) Or there's something else where you think you're following him, then you find out, actually, I've been doing that for my own selfish motives and desires. Wow, I've been doing this, but actually it's just because I want to look good, or I want to have my act together and let people think that I have it together. Notice what Jesus says. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it is come. You'll be scattered. You'll go to your homes. You will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. And notice these comforting words he says to them. I have said these things to you, that in me, again, notice the in me, you may have peace. The world you will have tribulation. But take heart, take courage. I have overcome. That word overcome. I am victorious. I have won. I have overcome and am victorious over the world. Do you see what Jesus is promising here? They had expectations for who Jesus was and what he should do. He was supposed to be their Messiah and deliverer in such a way that he conquered the Roman world with power and authority and maybe a sword and, you know, sitting on the throne. And they were ready for that. They were ready to follow Jesus as he was victorious. What they weren't ready for is Jesus to do it in an upside-down, backwards way. Jesus won by losing. The people who he's supposed to overthrow nail him to a cross. They put him on that cross and he dies. They don't have a category for him disappearing this way. Yet that is how Jesus achieves victory. That is how Jesus overcomes the world. And if he'd done it their way, we still wouldn't have access to God the Father. We still wouldn't have this joy. We still wouldn't be able to grieve and have sorrow that turns to joy. His winning is different than the way that we view it and look at it. Perhaps the best way that I've been like wrestling with this one is I was thinking about the Chiefs Super Bowl, right? I mean, hey Chiefs, uh, those of you who don't know about it, I did grow up in Kansas, big Chiefs fan, I've been a Chiefs fan, I'm a third generation Chiefs fan, I've uh, been a fan since 1967 when they, when they won the pennant, uh, but they won, and one of the stories that I love is that of Melvin Gordon. If you don't know who Melvin Gordon is, great running back, probably one of the best in the league on a certain year, you could have argued he was the best. Uh, played for our, our rivals. But this year, he happened to be on the practice squad of the Chiefs, which, in, for those of you who are not real familiar with all the, the inner workings, basically, he didn't do anything. Okay, I'm not trying to completely minimize, but I am. He didn't do anything. And yet, he won a Super Bowl ring. 
And they're interviewing him after the Super Bowl. And they're like, hey, you were this great running back, and now you're on this team. You don't even necessarily, you don't even travel with the team. You don't even do this work. Like, you're not really even, you're a part of it. And now you have a ring. How do you feel about that? And he goes, they carried me. No problems. Love it. I win. Like, no shame. (laughs) Isn't that what we get to say about the cross? I didn't do anything. (laughs) But I win. I win because Jesus won. (laughs) That is how we win. It's an upside-down winning. We win because of what Christ has done for us. This upside-down way. And what it brings is a shalom, a peace. Do you see that there? In me, you have peace. It's rooted in the relationship. Again, it's rooted in what he did on the cross. It's rooted that we are united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And it gives us this peace. And even as we start to look at it, if you were at the beginning of this conversation, when it all started, again, when Jesus starts to say, hey, guys, by the way, I'm leaving. What are you doing? What are you leaving? And he tells him in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Right? Don't be anxious. The word there is, don't be like a jar of water that has dirt in it and is stirred up and unsettled. Let you be settled. Have peace. We have peace because of the work of the cross and what Christ has done and that he wins. Not because we do anything. Not because we achieve. Not because we perform. Not because we get something done. We have peace because of the relationship and the work of Christ. All right. Let me summarize and give us a few things to walk forward with. And I want to do this, and I'm actually going to invite um, Patrick to come up because it's going to lead us towards some moments of communion and some places of reflection. But what I want us to see is that we have sorrow that can turn to joy because of the work of the cross. And I want to give you a space to even just here in this room this morning before we get ready to partake of communion, which is our reminder that we are united with Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection. I want to give you some space to even just say, where are you experiencing the sorrow? Where does it feel like labor is here? Where do you need to go to God and say, God, things are not the way they are supposed to be. I'm grieving. The loss of a friendship. The loss of the expectations of a job. I don't know what that is for you, but I just want to give you a little bit of moment and a little bit of time, a little bit of space to sit there. Think of that grief and think of that pain. God doesn't minimize it. He invites it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to suppress it. You don't have to deny it. He invites it and welcomes you to say where you are. Not only does he see your pain... He is giving you an invitation to turn that sorrow into joy. And maybe you're at a place where you say, I I don't see a way forward. I don't see how this could ever get there. That's fine. Tell him where you are. 
the invitation, the confusion the disciples have, the invitation is still there. God wants to take your sorrow and turn it to joy. Perhaps for some of you, you need to remember that God can hear you. He changes the way we suffer. He also changes the way we pray. You need to be reminded of this new relationship that you have in God. Maybe you feel distant from him. Maybe you feel like he doesn't hear you. Maybe you feel like your prayers have gone unanswered. We have access before the throne of God in a relationship where God loves us because of the work that Christ has done to where we get to come before him and say, God, here's where I'm at. Just give you a little bit of space. Where do you need to be reminded that this new relationship allows you to pray and to bring it to him? And then finally, for some of you who might say, I am experiencing (laughs) what looks and feels like defeat. I'm tired of the same struggles. I'm tired of the same arguments. I'm tired of trying to do better on my own and failing. God is offering... (laughs) Not that we could do better because we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but he's offering us victory because of what he has done. Come before him and thank him. Come before him and say, God, I need you. God, this is my sin, but it doesn't define me. You have died for it on the cross and you offer a way forward. You promise forgiveness. The cross changes the way we suffer. It turns our sorrow into joy. It gives us a new access into prayer, rooted in a relationship of love, and it allows us to experience victory, not because of what we've done, but because we've been carried, because of the work that Christ has done. Again, I invite you today to not lose your wonder, but to experience and to know the power of the cross and how it has the opportunity to change you.